0: Good evening. It's Such a joy to be here with you, opening up God's Word. Um, As I was introduced just a second ago, I'm Jacob Evangelista. I am the pastoral intern, number one. And I've been uh, graciously given an opportunity to open the Word with you. So we've been going through the Minor Prophets, and now we are at Jonah. Now, uh, Jonah... Is a particularly interesting minor prophet amongst the rest because usually minor prophets are contain the words of that minor prophet, but here in Jonah it's almost entirely narrative. It's actually the story of the prophet Jonah, and so I'm really excited um, to get into you, get into it. We're gonna go kind of quickly here. We're gonna read the whole thing and then we're gonna examine a couple of truths. Um, that the Lord would be so gracious to reveal to us from this uh, minor prophet. See, and another reason this story is is so interesting is because it takes a lot of unexpected turns. This is something that, a story that we're kind of all familiar with. This is a story that I certainly learned about growing up. I mean, you know, about the prophet who got swallowed by a whale, or was it a fish? That was a huge discussion um, when we were kids, was it a whale or was it a fish? A lot of fights broke out over that. But this is a story with, um, that although it's ch- completely true and it is completely biblical, it, it, it almost, in some places, is reminiscent of satire. Because the people who you'd expect to do one thing do the complete opposite thing. And so as we examine it, let's have our hearts open to what the Lord has to say to us. So just a, a quick, by way of context, Jonah takes place around the year 760 B.C. Uh, so this is when God's people are divided in the northern and the southern kingdom. Uh, and this is during the reign of King Jeroboam II of Israel, the northern kingdom. And the, king and the reign of Jeroboam is briefly described in 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 23-29. through 29. We won't take the time to read that because all you need to know is that he was a very, very wicked king. He was a very, very wicked king who did not please the Lord with the way that he reigned. But it was a prosperous and peaceful time for the northern kingdom of Israel. But their king was a very, very wicked man. And his prophet, Jonah, as we will see, was not necessarily a stand-up guy either. You see, Jonah really gets a bad rap, I think, amongst Christians. And I used to be amongst the persuasion that, ah, come on, like, maybe we can just give Jonah a break a little bit. But then you actually read Jonah, and then you're like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. So anyway, let's go ahead and start reading. So we're going to just read a little bit of each section. We're going to kind of skip through, so bear with me as we go through this minor prophet. So starting in chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So here immediately the story starts and we do not get a very good feeling from Jonah. The Lord commands him to go to the city of Nineveh. If you don't know, the city of Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It's sort of in now uh, northern modern-day Iraq. And Assyria were deadly, deadly and wicked enemies of God's people. And so the Lord looks at his prophet Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh. And we don't know why just yet, but Jonah is fleeing to a city called Tarshish, which is just about as far away as you can go across the Mediterranean Sea. Now, just as an aside... uh, He is a prophet of the Lord, and you think that perhaps a prophet of the Lord might have a little bit better theology than to know that you can't run from the Lord. But yet, he's doing it anyway. So, we know that you cannot escape from the Lord, and Jonah soon finds that out as well. Because as he is sailing to Tarshish, the Lord brings a storm to the boat that Jonah is sailing in. And the storm causes the men aboard to panic. They're all praying to their own gods and panicking. They bring Jonah up onto the deck and they're they're screaming, why is this happening? What's going on? So in order to determine this, I love how they did it back in the day. They rolled dice. They cast lots to see whose fault it was on account of whose wickedness this storm came upon the boat, obviously. When the lot came up, it came up on Jonah. And the men said, what did you do, Jonah? The storm is raging. And Jonah says, well, uh, I'm a Hebrew, and I'm fleeing from the God of Israel. And the men were scared before, but now they're absolutely terrified when they hear that Jonah is a Hebrew, and he's fleeing from the God of Israel. They ought to be thinking, oh, any God but the God of Israel, the God who separates the sea, the God who makes bread fall out of heaven. This is not the God we want to be messing with. And eventually, after they try to weather the storm a little bit, they realize it's not going to let up. And Jonah looks at them and he says, this is all in the scripture. And Jonah says, throw me overboard. I think maybe I probably would have just jumped. But he's telling these men, throw me overboard. And they're reluctant at first. But eventually, they realize there's no other way to save their lives. So they grab Jonah and they throw him overboard into the drink. And immediately as he hits the water, the Lord causes the storm to fade away. And the scripture tells us in chapter 1, verse 16 then the men, meaning those who were on the boat, feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So, in this short little episode, we see, I think, one of the major themes of this book, which we'll talk about in a minute. So Jonah's thrown into the water, and this is the part where really we all sort of um, can remember. The Lord appoints a large fish to come and swallow Jonah as a grace to save Jonah. And Jonah's inside the belly of this large fish for three days and three nights. And during this period in which he's inside this large fish, he has a lot of time to himself (laughs) and a lot of time to think. And sort of here is where Jonah experiences his high watermark spiritually in the story. So we're hitting a high note here, and it's sort of all downhill for Jonah from here. So he prays to the Lord a prayer of thanksgiving. In chapter 2, we'll start in verse 7, and then read the rest of his prayer. He says this, When my life was fainting away, think about this, he's inside the belly of a giant fish. It probably doesn't smell good. There's all sorts of... uh, debris around, all sorts of fish bones, all sorts of mucus. This is, this is a rough scene, and he's crying out to the Lord, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we all say with Jonah, Amen. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So then afterwards, Jonah is vomited out by the fish, and the Lord calls him again, once more, to go to Nineveh and to preach to the people there. And this time, Jonah complies. Disgusting drenched in fish guts, he begins walking to Nineveh. Eventually, he gets there. We're told that Nineveh is a great city, a mighty city, a wicked city, but a great one. Very, very large. And Jonah gets there and he travels into it and he preaches a very short sermon. Let's read in chapter three, verses four. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's eight words. And what does the scripture say in the next verse? And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So Jonah pulls up reluctantly. He doesn't want to be there. And he preaches a very short sermon in the middle of the city, God is going to destroy you. You have 40 days. And they repent. And they repent. All of them. From the greatest, uh, we won't take time to read it, but the king sends out a proclamation saying, Everybody, including your cattle, need to wear sackcloth and ashes and repent before the Lord, and maybe he will relent from the disaster which he said he'll bring upon us. And the Lord, in his mercy, does relent and does not bring upon the disaster he has said he would to the Ninevites because they repented. However, in chapter 4, Jonah is very, very displeased with this. Very, very displeased with God. Let's read a little bit. Um, in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we'll go through verse 3. But, meaning the repentance of the Ninevites, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. So this is a superlative So here in Jonah's anger, we're finally given a reason for Jonah's fleeing. See, in the Veggie Tales version, which I remember distinctly, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was frightened of the Ninevites. He was scared silly. And so he wanted to flee because he was afraid of what the Ninevites might do to him. But however, that's not what the Bible says. No, Jonah did. He fled from the Lord. He fled from the Ninevites, not because he was frightened of them, but because he hated them. He hated them deeply. When he thought about the Ninevites, he thought of a group of people who did not deserve the mercy of the Lord, who deserved only wrath, and he did not want to be the vessel by which the Lord brought about grace to these people, so he fled because he hated them. This certainly gives a little bit more light to the sermon he preached about a chapter ago, doesn't it? Like, you got to think, he's saying it with some relish. Oh, you're going to be destroyed, Nineveh, in 40 days, just you wait. The Lord's going to bring fire and brimstone and burn you all. Also repent and be saved. The Lord will bring down his judgment to you. He hates these people. He hates them. Then afterwards, we have this strange episode at the end of the book with this plant and the worm. Sort of ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. We'll read it. Verses 5 through 11. A good chunk of text. Bear with me. And Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city, maybe hoping that the Ninevites would uh, again turn to their wickedness and the Lord would judge them. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of a plant. you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And that's where the story ends. We would never get to hear Jonah's response. But we don't need to hear Jonah's response because this is what the Lord has chosen to give us in his word and it's sufficient for us. And so we've sort of read the story. We have an idea for what's going on. Now we're going to look at, at, at sort of two headings and some truths underneath them to sort of make sense of this story. We're going to look at Jonah's failures and we're going to look at God's grace. Jonah's failures and God's grace. And let me just say in preparation how hard I was fighting the uh, alliteration temptation I really wanted to make it Jonah's failures and God's faithfulness. But grace just worked better. But anyway. So under Jonah's failures, we have two truths. Number one, Jonah created a God in submission to his own desires. He created a God in submission to his own desires. See, Jonah, the God that he wanted to worship, The God that he wanted to serve was a God who would act like he would act. Was a God who would be how he wanted him to be. And you see, I think a a, a crucially important part of this story is that the issue really isn't with Jonah's theology. See, Jonah's theology was good. I mean, we read it before in chapter 4, verse 2. Where he says, I know you're a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We're like, amen. His theology is good. But his heart is wicked. And his heart does not want to serve the God which he knows, but he wants to serve a God which he can create. Second truth is, Jonah's desires were grossly disoriented. They were grossly disoriented. That's what God was teaching him with the plant. See, Jonah cared so much about the plant. Jonah is a man of passion. It says he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Yet he viewed the people that he was to minister to with the utmost disgust. See, his affections, his desires, they were backwards. They were backwards. And that's what the Lord is teaching him. In this episode, he says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? For the plant? And yet these people in Nineveh, you feel nothing for. Matter of fact, you feel hatred towards. His desires were all out of whack. May this be a warning to us as well. Looking now next to God's grace. We see God's grace in the story. Really, this is the best part about this story. First truth for God's grace is that God saves to the uttermost. No one is outside the reach of God's grace. You know, this should be a great encouragement to us. This story should be a great encouragement to us, especially to those brothers and sisters who might be particularly vulnerable to the lie of the enemy that says, I'm too sinful, the Lord cannot save me. Do you know who the Ninevites were? Supposedly, the Ninevites, enemies of God's people, right? They would use the skulls of Israelites and fashion them into necklaces and wear them around town. The skulls, the remains of God's people, which they murdered, they would make into their jewelry as a sign of honor, delighting in their own wickedness. You see, these people, these Ninevites, were not sort of just neutral people. Kind of just trying to do the best by what they have. You know, honest people, making an honest living. No, these people were wicked to the extreme. These people were murderers, thieves and rapists. The worst of the worst. And yet the Lord, when he looks at them, he says to them, I pity them. The Lord saves to the uttermost. No one is outside the reach of God's grace. Because the deciding factor in our salvation is not the magnitude of our sin, but it's the power of God's grace. And amen for that. And amen for that. If you are in Christ, the grace of God is sufficient for you. The second truth, now this one is um, also very encouraging, particularly to me. The truth is this, that God uses imperfect and sinful people to accomplish His perfect plan. This should be a great encouragement to you as well. Because I reckon I'm not the only imperfect and sinful person in this room. See, it's through the ministry of Jonah, this guy who by all accounts is not really a good guy. It's through his ministry that the Lord brings a multitude of people to himself. The Lord brings a multitude of people to repentance. Thinks back to the episode with the sailors. See, the sailors, I mean, they're just sailors. They're just doing their thing. They would have done this anyway if Jonah hadn't have pulled up. They, had been, they were sailing to Tarshish anyway. They are just doing their thing worshiping their idols, living in wickedness. And it's because of Jonah's sin, it's because of Jonah's disobedience against God that he gets on this ship. And the Lord, in a mysterious way, uses even the disobedience of his servant Jonah to bring about these sailors to repentance. I am super, super encouraged by that. And I think you should be too. That God is sovereign. And that though we fail, though we're imperfect, the Lord in a mysterious way works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That's what the Word tells us. So, briefly, two points of application as we look at this. Number one... We should examine our own affections. We should examine our own affections. See, Jonah's affections were backwards. They were out of whack. He cared more about his comfort than he did about the lost. We should examine our affections. Pray that the Lord would search us so that we don't fall into the same trap that Jonah does and being so concerned with these little things, with our own comfort, that we lose sight of what we're called to do, which is to preach the gospel to the lost. We should examine our own affections. Secondly, we should praise God for His incredible mercy and grace. We should praise God for His incredible mercy and grace. While Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, is complaining in the heat, these... People who were wicked and evil just a day ago are repenting before the Lord and praising Him for His mercy and for His grace. We also should praise the Lord for His mercy and grace, for we were like the Ninevites, wicked and evil to the core. And yet the Lord in His kindness decided not to send an imperfect prophet like Jonah to us He sent the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king, Jesus, to live the life that we could not live as Carolyn so beautifully prayed earlier and died the death that we deserve to die so that we might be reconciled to him and be a part of God's family. This should cause us to praise the Lord. So let's have this at the forefront of our hearts as we go into this last song and conclude our time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your great grace to us. Lord, we thank you for the grace you show us through giving us your word. Lord, your word is a gold mine. Lord, it is living and active. It cuts sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, I pray that your word, even through a story like Jonah, might edify us, that it would These truths would land on our hearts and do something that would cause us to be stirred in our affections towards you, that it would cause us to praise you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I thank you for the great grace which you've showed us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that's the reason why any of us can be here. That's the reason why any of us can call Abba Father, because you have showed your grace to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for that. Let us praise you for that. And I pray all these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.